You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to another rousing edition of the Pipeline Podcast. Uh, Jonathan Mayo along with Jim Callis of your outer fearless navigator, Tim McMaster. We don't even have Matt Wehmeyer here to, to help us out. So Jim and I are going to do the best we can here to, to muddle through and uh, not step on each other's toes too much. Uh, we're going to spend all of the, this podcast uh, talking about the Arizona Fall League, of course. Uh, now in its second week, and I was out there for uh, just about a week, and Jim is out there now and to, to kick things off. Uh, we're going to uh, start by talking to someone who's got a great view every day from the dugout of the Peoria Javelinas, and that's our manager, Jared Sandberg. Uh, Jared, welcome to the Pipeline Podcast. Thank you for taking some time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, looking forward to it. Uh, wanted to just start out with just your, your, your take of the, the overall talent. You, know, you just finished your second year of managing the, the Durham Bulls and the AAA International League, and just get a sense of what you've seen overall in terms of the, the talent level in the Fall League over the first now almost two weeks. Yeah, well, this is my first experience in the Arizona Fall League, so uh, everything's kind of new to me as far as uh, how everything works. And, uh, you know, being in AAA the last couple of years, getting around some of the younger talent in, in the industry, uh, different organizations, some other organizations I haven't seen. So um, I'm, I'm extremely excited to be here and, and to see the young prospects, and you know, there there, there are some exciting prospects here. Guys with uh, tremendous power, bat speed, um, you know, some infielders that can pick it, some guys that can run, and then uh, you know, we've seen a couple of uh, the the young live arms throughout the league, you know, guys touching a hundred. Uh, it's very very exciting. Jared, I've talked to players about how long it takes them to get acclimated to the fall league. How long does it take you as a manager to get acclimated to the fall league? Because you know, as you said, I mean, you're probably familiar. I don't know if you've managed any of the raised players in the minor leagues, but you're at least familiar with them. But, I mean, you've got four other organizations worth of players, and you've got to juggle playing time for all these guys, you know, schedule pitchers, you know, alternate, you know, players at different positions. Do you feel like now that we're, I guess, about a week and a half into the fall league, you've got that down? How difficult is it as a, a manager to stay on top of all that stuff? Yeah, it's very, very difficult. You know, you got 30, 38 players to you know juggle from uh, inning, innings pitch standpoint. Make sure they get the proper rest and follow the their organizational protocol. You know, you're trying to get you know the, the guys in the, in the in the lineups and at bats and juggle the different positions they can play. So coming into it, you know, I knew it was going to be a, a pretty fun task is trying to be organized, and you, you definitely got to be on top of your game as far as being organized and. Uh, fortunately for me, I got a tremendous staff that's uh, able to support me and, and help me with that. You know, Brent Brown, the hitting coach, Justin Lord, and, and Pete Zamora, the, the pitching coaches that are here, they're, they're, they're extremely organized and detailed. So they've been a huge help for me, helping me with the lineups, um, helping me with the innings, you know, mapping out the, the pitching for the week and all that stuff. So uh, when, you, when you have a good support staff like that, it, it definitely makes things a lot easier. And you know, like I said, I knew it was going to be a tough task coming in, and we have a big, huge dry erase board, which I learned how to use in, in the AAA ranks because of all the movement in AAA going to the big leagues. And 
So uh, we went right to the dry erase board when we first got here, started mapping it out. It was just an easy way to, you know, cross off names, uh, erase names, and loop guys around uh, the board. So uh, we've, we've kind of used that in, in a centrally located spot to keep everybody organized. John, before we, I want to ask, you know, uh, Jim does too, about you know, specific guys that you've seen, you know, in your dugout and around the league. But one of the things that doesn't, you know, get as much attention, everyone talks about the success rate of the falling in terms of players making it up to the big leagues. It, uh, there, there have been more than a few who uh, are in your position right now who have helped use that, the fall league uh, as a springboard as a, as a manager. How much uh, do you think this uh, you know, will help you uh, in terms of, you know, what I'm, I'm assuming is your ultimate goal is to, to run a team at the major league level? Yeah, this is a tremendous platform for me to, uh, you know, showcase some, some managerial skills, whether it's the, the communication with the players, um, you know, getting to know other people in, in other organizations, you know, as far as meeting new people, which I've, I've met a ton of people, and uh, it's great for me. Um, as far as managing the game out here, I don't, think there's a whole lot of managing the game just because the you know the players are going to play and, and and all that so everything's pretty mapped out but I think uh, some of the other skill sets are going to be there as far as like I said the communication and the, the organization and you know and then the players talk too I mean the players talk to agents players talk to you know farm directors and 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 uh, coordinators and coaches and all that stuff so this is a, a tremendous platform for me to um, you know, not only you know on the managerial skills that I would I want to do, but also you know meet people. And, and I obviously I'd love to be a big league manager at some point. And I know that uh, still pretty young, and and uh, yeah, I have a lot to learn. So the stuff that I've learned out here in these first couple of weeks definitely is going to help me going forward. Jared, I want to ask you about some of the players on your roster. I mean, every every one of these rosters in the league is, is loaded with prospects and. And looking at your position players, I guess the group that jumped out to me the most was the outfielders. I mean, you have the guy who might be the best power hitter in the league in Tyler O'Neill. You have a center fielder who, who probably has all-around tools that stack up with, with just about anybody in the league and Michael Geddes. And then you have Justin Williams, who's been one of the hottest hitters in the early going. I think he's hitting 400 last time I checked uh, you know, with five extra base hits in as many games. Uh, seems like you, like you have a lot of outfield talent. What have been your initial impressions of those guys? Yeah, I mean, I know, uh, I know you guys have been, been uh, chomping the bit to talk about the individual players, so this is, uh, this is a, just a good platform. But, um, yeah, we start with Tyler O'Neill. You know, I've never uh, seen him play. I know he had a really good year in the Southern League this year. In uh, Double A, and coming in here, he's he's stayed hot. You know, a guy with tremendous power, uh, with some swing and miss. But um, you know, if he, if he connects, uh, it's going to go a long way. And he puts on a, a good good show in VP as far as you know, driving the ball in gaps and hitting the ball to the ballpark center field. But uh, he you know he had a monster home run the other day in Glendale. Uh, I think Johnson was was there to witness that. Um, yeah. So I mean, you're talking about a, a big, strong, physical guy. Um, you know, he can run a little bit. Uh, also, yesterday, you know, being on infield single in the six hole, stole the base. So, you know, he showcases his talents. And then, you know, defensively, um, he's not that far behind. You know, he's running some decent routes, getting some good jumps, and, and uh, tracking some balls down in the outfield. And, you know, he showed a decent arm in, in right field, too. So, I mean, I think the Mariners should be excited about what they have. And uh, Tyler, you know, I know Scott Service is out here this week watching him play. So, uh, got to see him play, and yeah, Tyler's done very, very well. And then, you know, Michael Geddes, uh, here's a guy that you know hits the top of the order. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure where, exactly where he would profile in a batting order, but 
you know, he can do it all. He can run, he can play center field, steal a base, uh, hit for some power. Uh, he definitely gets to his full power. And, you know, we've been we've been uh, watching him play, and we're like, you know, who does he look like? Who does he look like? And everybody keeps saying Mike Trout. So anytime you can get compared to Mike Trout, it's uh, definitely a huge compliment. So uh, I think it's pretty special for uh, Michael. And then uh, definitely with uh, Justin Williams, um, getting off to a really good start. I've never seen him play uh, other than a brief stint in the Midwest League when uh, I was on the, in the opposing dugout when he was still with the Diamondbacks and playing for for South Bend. But, uh, you know, he's got the three triples so far. Like you said, he's hitting 400 uh, off to a good start. And, and when people are asking questions about certain certain players, they're, they're going right to Tyler O'Neill and Michael Geddes, but then they follow right back up with, with Justin Williams. And you know, he's going to be a special talent and, uh, he's eager to learn, which is exciting for uh, us in the Rays organization. Uh, he's, a, he's a hard worker, and like I said, with tremendous talent. So I think it's exciting. Uh, the future is bright for the Padres, Mariners, and, and Rays from an outfield standpoint. Uh, Di, I want to I want to flip over to uh, to pitching a little bit. And uh, as as we were recording this, you you told us that you were watching uh, Brent Honeywell, who's the the top pitching prospect uh, in your organization, throw a bullpen. He scuffled a little bit his first two outings. Well, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what he has struggled with in, in, in those two outings? Very small sample size, obviously, after a, a really good year that saw him reach double-A for the first time. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, – you know, he, he's here to work on a few things, and uh, one thing he's uh, really trying to hone in on is, is that uh, attacking with the fastball and uh, really concentrating on focusing on uh, that, that fastball command. And uh, so with him, you know, throwing a bunch of fastballs to, to some hitters that are, you know, dead red and looking for that fastball, they've, they've uh, hit some homers off him. But, um, you know, I think there's been some uh, times when he's, you know, really looked to go to the secondary pitches uh, a little bit um, too much at times with two strikes going for the strikeout when he could have just stuck with the fastball. But, again, we're talking about a top pitching prospect who has a plan while he's out here in the Arizona Fall League. And, uh, you know, he's going out there and, and working on some stuff. So I'm, I'm sitting here watching him right now. He's, again, he's working on that fastball uh, all, all quadrants of the strike zone and, and uh, really working on that changeup. And, um, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll definitely turn the corner. He's a special talent, good kid. He, he's eager to learn, ask good questions as well. One of the pitchers who I've not heard a lot about, but people have been buzzing about a little bit, I have yet to see you guys play in person, Jared, is uh, Thago Vieira. Of the Mariners, had you heard much about him before you uh, got the managerial job? But I, people have been buzzing that he's been one of the hardest throwers in the league. I think he was clocked at what 102 or 103 the other day. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it is pretty exciting. Uh, you know, a guy that has uh, got some deception in the delivery. Um, definitely a, a big arm and a high velocity. Um, I mean, we, we we're sitting in the dugout. And you just hear that ball whistling. As it uh, gets to the gets to the plate, um, and then you know you're expecting this you know, big time fastball. And the other day he ended the game a 12-2 game in in Mesa. We were winning 12-2, and he struck out the guy on a 3-2 breaking ball. So he brings out this breaking ball. So uh, definitely a pleasant surprise, and uh, a guy that's you know flipped the switch for the uh, for the Mariners organization here in the last couple of years, and really you know found something and, and turned it around and. Anytime you can find a hidden gem like that that can touch 100 and, and spin a breaking ball, it's definitely special. Uh, last uh, question for me, and just uh, you know, to turn away from Peoria for a little bit. I know you haven't seen you know a lot of other teams as the the league has not been going on for that long, but 
Have there been a couple guys that have really, you know, caught your eye that, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of guy that you, you stop and, and, and take a notice of, uh, of the opponents you've faced so far? Uh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, the other thing, too, is when you look as far as schedules go and, and playing time and all that stuff, you know, we haven't seen Moncada play. I'm uh, looking forward to seeing him play. So uh, I've been texting back and forth with Fables, telling him to get him in the lineup when we play him. But, um, you know, and we saw uh, Nick Gordon play yesterday for the first time. Uh, you know, he's got some he had a six-hit game, I believe, and uh, he can run. Uh, pick it at shortstop. So, I mean, you're talking about a guy up the middle. And uh, Nick Gordon, who can, can really do it all. I, I really liked what I saw to him. Um, and, and then, I mean, overwhelmed a little bit as far as, you know, the, every, everywhere you look, every position, uh, every team, it seems like there's there, there's somebody somebody out there. You know, a guy that hit a huge home run the other day against us was uh, Dodgers prospect Ellinger, uh, first baseman. That was, uh, the guy's got some bad speed and obviously some, some big pedigree in his, uh, in his bloodlines. Thanks, Jared. We really appreciate your your time today. Look forward to. I have yet to run into the uh, Havelinas yet, and I don't think I'm scheduled to on my brief four day trip. But uh, I'll be back for two weeks before the end of the season. Look forward to uh, seeing some of your guys in action. Well, we're a first place team, so uh, we're, we're competing pretty well. We're playing the game pretty well. So hopefully, you can make out to see us play. All right, Jared. Thanks very much for your time. All right, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, guys. So I don't know. One of the things that. Uh... Looking at the even the manager who the managers were, uh, he mentioned Carlos Fables and even Sandberg himself was like, I, I know I'm I start to feel really really old when guys that I remember when they were when they were coming up and what prospects are now managing uh, in, in the fall league. Um, so feeling my age a little bit uh, when I was out there for the for the first time. Yeah, no, it's, I know what you mean. It's funny. I had the same thoughts. That was the first game I came to. Out here, uh, in fact, Carlos Fabulous was was one of the managers, and I was I had the same thought. Like I remember when he was a Royals prospect and tearing up the Carolina League. Uh, I think I'm even a couple years older than you. Although I don't think there's anything that, that makes you feel older, Jonathan. Uh, for some reason, I always think of Donovan Tate when I think of this. Is when you have sons of players you covered uh, as a young reporter who are now <laughs> prospects, uh, uh, and that seems to be happening with more and more uh, regularity. You know, you know, in the fall league, for instance, uh, an example of that is uh, Cody Bellinger. I remember talking to his dad in my early days at Baseball America, doing a college feature on his dad when he was at Rollins. So it's, uh, uh, but I guess the older you get, and we're getting old, Jonathan, uh, the more and more reminders you get of that uh, as you go around covering baseball. Yeah, I kept thinking that that the time of the fall league, I was like, God, they just they keep getting younger and, and younger. Like every year, everyone looks so much younger and everyone else. No, it's the same age where we're getting older. Um, but, you know, you mentioned Cody Ballinger. I think that's maybe a good place to start. Uh, you know, we want to talk a little bit about uh, some guys who have stood out. Um, you know, Jared Sandberg mentioned the, the big homer uh, that he had uh, against them. And, he didn't even do that much in, in the couple times I saw Glendale, but his batting practice uh, was, was very impressive. Um, and the, his swing is just so smooth. And he, he is definitely a, a hitter who I came away with wanting to see because I hadn't really seen much of him. Um, but one of many guys on that Glendale team, uh, there's a lot of good hitters on that team, 
uh, who at least I was impressed with in my first go-around. Yeah, and I've only been out for here for a couple of days. I have yet. To, I, I saw Glendale yesterday. Did not run into uh, him, although he was very good when I was out here for spring training. Uh, my my first game, uh, I, I got to see Surprise versus Scottsdale. Got to see Yohan Moncada in action. He did not do a whole lot that game. Uh, saw him strike out a couple times, uh, which he did in the big leagues as well. Walked late and, and got thrown out stealing. Uh, probably the and Nick Gordon, who was leading the league and hitting at that time, was in that game too. But probably the the best player my first night here, uh, the, the best players were Mauricio Dubon uh, of the Red Sox, Dubon of the Red Sox, who's, who's adding center field to his resume. He's just, I, I like him, Jonathan. He's not a top, top prospect, but he puts the bat on the ball and he does a little bit of everything. Not a big-time power hitter, but, but he was impressive that night. He had three hits. And, and on the Scorpions that night, uh, a couple of Yankees uh, that stood out for me. You know, neither one of them was really a surprise. Glaber Torres. Had a couple of hits and, and looked like the precocious advanced hitter that he is. And on the mound, uh, a short stint, but Dylan Tate, you know, the velocity was there. You know, we've heard reports of his velocity kind of fluctuating during the year, but I saw him 95-96 with a mid-80s slider. So that, that first night here, that was the game I got to see. You know, I mean, and that's the thing about the fall league, Jonathan, as you know, and I'm always telling people, you know, people who love baseball should come to the fall league because you're going to see – prospects no matter where you turn it still boggles my mind that you know 60 percent of the players who play in the fall league will reach the majors so i mean if you think about that on a given night when you're talking about the pitchers you know each team will use four or five pitchers you're probably seeing 30 players in a fall league game on average 18 of those guys are future big leaguers so if you like prospects and you like baseball this is definitely the place to come well i'm glad to hear that tape through well because when i saw him uh he did not throw well uh, at all, um, and you know I didn't I didn't get the radar readings on him. Um, it seemed like velocity wise was fine, but his command was was way off, uh, and he got knocked around quite a bit. Uh, I, you know I kind of think of it uh, in, in the inbox I just read. I kind of split guys into two categories, and it may be overly simplistic, but you have the guys who are like the, the top top prospects. And this is the first extended look. You really you, you get at them, and you want to see if they kind of live up to, to that hype. And then they're the guys who are just sort of under the radar guys. So I'm glad you, you brought up, you know, guys who aren't necessarily you know quote unquote bigger names. Labor Torres was so impressive um, in, in so many ways. You know, I don't know if you saw his batting practice, but he's one of these guys that spends at least the two times I saw him take batting practice. He is was all right center field and up the middle. That's clearly what he was working on. And I saw him, he, you know, he's hit uh, a couple of balls the other way uh, for extra base hits. Uh, but the last game I saw him in, you know, it's not like he's forgotten what to do if there's a, a fastball over the inner part of the plate. And he just crushed a ball to, to left center field out. Uh, and he's looked good at second base, uh, which he had never played before, really, uh, except for one game. Uh, so I think he's added that. But he's, the, to me, the example of the, that sort of top-notch prospect, uh, you know, who, who stood out. Uh, Harrison Bader is another guy from Glendale who just continued to, to perform uh, and hit well. And then there's the under-the-radar guys. And I mentioned Ramon Moriano to you. He was the player of the week for the first week of the fall league, and, and for good reason. He's, I think, 400 uh, you know, over his first – Seven games, ten for twenty-five. He's got 
four doubles and a pair of triples and four steals. And he's one of those guys that uh, continues to sort of put himself on, on the map. I know you do the Astros list. You snuck him in at the end. He's one of these you want to see what he does when he's not in Lancaster anymore. I know the fall league is a hitter's league, but I think, I think you're going to have to revisit his placement on the Astros top 30 uh, based on what I saw anyway. Yeah, no, he had a hot first week. I mean, he's a guy who has some tools. His speed's probably his best tool. An encouraging sign was he hit well in double-A for a month at the end of the season. But right. you're having – and you've covered these guys for a while, too. I mean, you have to take Lancaster numbers with a grain of salt. I, I mean, I, I covered Red Sox prospects for a while when they were there. And you can't just – I mean, I get Astros fans, you know, especially with AFL. Why isn't this guy ranked higher? And it's like, well, we need to see a little bit more of him outside of Lancaster before we go crazy. You know, but he's so far 16th-round pick and – 2014, who has really uh, asserted himself. And it's interesting because when I asked guys about him when we were doing our midseason revamp, Jonathan, they're like, ah, you know, he's interesting, but like nobody was really, you know, banging a fist on the table, like, hey, this guy's pretty good. And, and now you're hearing more and more of that. I actually got to see him play yesterday. Uh, you know, didn't do much in the early going, got hit by a pitch uh, early and then a ground out and a, a strikeout. But then he, well, when we had a game that was threatening to go extra innings uh, and I had to get to a night game, made my uh, my, my two-game two day a, a little bit easier. So my, my thanks to Ramon Laureano for him. And, you know, like I said, he, he, he looked good in the brief look I saw him yesterday. Now, I know you saw, you saw a couple good pitching performances yesterday. Um, I saw Frankie Montas uh, touch 101 uh, in his first outing, and, uh, and then he – Again, yesterday he's got four scoreless, uh, and you also saw Chris Stratton go five scoreless. You know, Montas missed most of the year, uh, so to see him back, the velocity is there. More importantly, or maybe most importantly, no walks uh, over over six innings. Um, you know, looking like the kind of guy who could be pitching at maybe at the end of all games in the not too distant future. Yeah, and I don't think the A's have given up on him as a starter. It was, it was good. You know, it, the fun part, too, is watching these guys play and then talking to them about what they're working on. And, you know, Frankie yesterday, I've seen him. I'd seen him a few times out here a couple of years ago, and I've seen him in the big leagues a little bit. And, and you know, you, you could see him good and you could see him not so good. I mean, I only saw him touch 100, Jonathan. You guys see 101. His slider was really sharp yesterday. And he threw strikes, as you mentioned, but there have been times where he, he doesn't throw strikes. And, and – you know, depending on who you talk to when they see him, some guys, you know, look at it. You know, he, he his big point of emphasis out here, besides getting some innings after missing a lot of the time with the rib injury, is working on a changeup. And Andy threw the changeup yesterday as well. But, you know, if you see him at his best, you think this guy might be able to pitch in the front half of big league rotation. And then other times when he's not throwing strikes and the slider flattens out, you, you think, well, this guy's not going to be able to get through the lineup more than once. Uh, you know, he's more of a closer. But, it's a big arm. Um, you know, the A's, you know, got him and Grant Holmes and Jarrell Cotton in that, that Rich Hill, Josh Reddick trade. Um, that has a chance to be really nice for him. And, and then Stratton's another guy who I, I think people are still trying to figure out what his role is. You know, he was a first-round pick in 2012. And at the time, coming out of college, I mean, he was the SEC Pitcher of the Year. He had a fastball to hit 96. He had a wipeout slider. He was really dominant in a game that spring against LSU that a lot of scouts saw. And he really hasn't, as he's gone to pitching every fifth day, he hasn't been that, that, that same kind of stuff. It, it's been more of a, 
an average fastball. You know, that, you know, he, this year his command was better than ever. He got a big league call-up as a reliever. And his slider's more of an average pitch. He'll mix in a curve. He'll mix in a change. But I think the question is on him, you know, is he a guy who, who fits in the back of rotation or is he more of a guy who fits in the bullpen? But yesterday, um, you know, he wasn't overpowering. He was kind of 89-93, but he was locating real well and, and breezed through five innings pretty quickly. Uh, first five-inning outing in the fall league for anybody, in part because he was so efficient, he didn't run his pitch count up very much. But, uh, you know, he, he was interesting. You know, and I talked to him, and it's interesting. I mean, he pitched 133 innings this year or so, which is a decent amount for a guy who, who came out to the fall league. But he said, you know, he pitched close to 150 the year before, and he spent a month in the big league bullpen where he, he didn't pitch a ton. And that, that the main goal for him was, was just building, you know, adding more innings, so if he, he does make the big league team at some point next year as a starter, you know, it's not a huge jump in innings going from 130, 135 to you know, 160 or more, depending on his role, if, if he pitched, say, as a starter in triple in the big league. So, um, and I know you enjoy too, Jonathan, you know, talking to these guys after the games and what yep. they're working on. Who, who has stood out to you? You know, you were out here for a few days before I was, and we'll both be back for longer stints later. But uh, who stood out to you, you know, interview-wise or – or talent-wise yeah, performance the, uh, that the, you got you saw on your trip here. Right. So the first part of my time was you know running around getting the video interviews done for a whole bunch of content that will be coming your way soon uh, on, on MLB.com. So there were those interviews, and a, a lot of guys. Um, I feel like every year I'm more and more impressed with how polished these guys are in terms of their ability to talk in front of a camera. Um, you know, the guys probably uh, Connor Green. Uh, was a tremendous interview. Um, he's got a good backstory, a little bit of an acting background, friends with Charlie Sheen. Uh, and then he went out and was 94 to 98 in his first outing and uh, sawing, things, uh, sawing things off. Um, Greg Allen, a really, really good interview. Um, speed guy, you know, kind of knows his job. Uh, I talked to Tyler O'Neill after he hit that that long home, you know, that, that big home run that uh, Jared Sandberg talked about. Um, and then I want to throw out one guy. I haven't got a chance to talk to him. Uh, but uh, I, one, like, really, really under-the-radar guy uh, that I like is Tyler Sperlin. And it's possible I like him mostly because we were broadcasting a game, and the game was crawling. A lot of base runners and he came in and retired all seven hitters he faced. I think with five ground ball outs, he must have thrown about 18 pitches total. Um, he's a submariner. You know, he's one of these guys that, like, you're not going to have any idea who he is, and then suddenly he's going to pitch for 10 years in, in, in a big league bullpen. Um, last year, the thing that really stands out is the 3.38 ground out ratio um and it's 4.5 in his two outings so far so he's a ground ball machine he's gonna pitch in the big leagues um and it was just sort of fun to see because he's not like uh, he's not one of these guys you know 100 mile an hour guy because he drops down but the stuff works uh and he gets guys to beat the ball on the ground and you can pitch a long time that way talking about tim tebow but I think that we probably need to talk about him a little because we both can say that we have now seen in person Tim Tebow get a base hit in the Arizona Fall League. Now, it sounds to me that the ball you saw was hit a little bit more squarely than mine, 
Um, but, uh, you know, he, he, he got off, uh, I think it took him 14 at-bats to get his first hit, and it didn't take him that much longer to get another one. You know, it, it's still a curiosity. Uh, it's still, if you, if you look at, I, the thing that amazes me, Jim, I posted video of his first hit, and I was keying in on him, so I didn't even see where the ball went. Um, there are a lot of haters out there, uh, which I don't totally get. It kind of makes me want to root for him a little bit more. And then there are a lot of people rooting for him. He's very polarizing. But people loved it. Just the, the action on that tweet alone with the video was insane. You know, people are fascinated by what he does or doesn't do. Yeah, no, and he is a he was a polarizing guy as a football player too, and, and you get people yeah. who are upset that he's maybe taking an opportunity away from somebody, and other people are interested in seeing him. I had a I did not uh, independently verify this information, but I was talking to a scout about him yesterday, uh, and he said that somebody told him that attendance this year at Scottsdale games is up like forty five percent because Tebow's on the Scorpions. I had, I had another scout yesterday <laughs> who texted me early in the morning, and he said, hey. Let me know if Tebow's in the lineup tonight because um, I'll get over there and watch him if he is. Um, and he wasn't because he's, he's off to do SEC Network duty, um, so he wasn't. But uh, I, I did see probably his best at-bat of the fall league, Jonathan, and he got behind one and two to Trey Ball of the Red Sox, uh, fouled off a couple pitches, took a couple pitches, and then took a 92-mile-an-hour fastball, hit a, hit a hard line drive the other way. And, and as you might imagine, the – the Scottsdale crowd uh, got very excited about that. So, you know, I, I think we, we kind of are of a like mind on him as a prospect. I mean, he's two for 20 now, facing by far better pitching than he would have seen uh, in instructional league. Um, and at the same time, you know, it's a small sample size. I'm not saying you can make all the judgments you need to from 20 at-bats. But at the same time, these guys aren't, you know, the same quality pitching you'd face in the big leagues. I just think it's too much of an uphill climb. But to his credit, and, you know, he gets a lot of media attention, which he and the league try to manage well. I mean, he, he stays positive. Uh, uh, you talk to him after his first hit. Yeah. I mean, he's he's out here, you know, trying to do what he can. I, you know, like I said, it, it's an interesting story. Uh, a lot of attention on him, you know, as you pointed out, both positive and negative. You know, he, he's a polarizing guy, always has been. But, uh, you know, I think the fall league itself is – got to be thrilled Tim Tebow's here because people are coming out and watching him play. And uh, I saw a lot of Tebow t-shirts, the, the one game that I, that I was at that he was in the lineup. Yeah. And without question. And I, uh, I'll give him credit for this because, you know, I asked him about the fact that a large majority of his at bats, uh, you know, he, he's rolling over on a lot of balls and hitting, you know, with relatively weak contact ground balls to first and some to second base. And he has, you know, he said that that's one of the things that he's trying to address. And his two hits were both going the other way. Uh, you know, so he, he's clearly trying to work on things and then apply that into games uh, with a huge learning curve to, to overcome. Uh, yes, you and I are on the same page, but I'm sure that people will continue to uh, watch with, interest, uh, even if it's negative interest, uh, over the course of the rest of the Fall League. Well, I'm sure we'll be able to keep talking Fall League over the next couple of podcasts as we continue our coverage. And then, Jim, uh, enjoy the rest of your stay, and uh, I'll, 
see you uh, back in, in Arizona at, at some point in a few weeks uh, prior to the Fall Stars game. Yeah, no, sounds good. And, and uh, I'll tap the Fall League one more time here before we sign off. If if you're a baseball fan, uh, it, I, the, my two favorite events to cover are the College World Series and the Arizona Fall League. And you just you come out here, you're going to see a lot of future big leaguers. The crowds are. It's not like spring training. It's very easy to get around. Uh, if you if you live in a like you and I both do, Jonathan, in a part of the country where it gets cold in November, uh, there's certainly worse places to be in November than Arizona. Absolutely, good stuff. Well said. And uh, who needs Tim McMaster? We can we can run this ship on our own. Uh, we'll try to exactly. again next week. In fact, thanks for tuning into this week's Pipeline Podcast. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.